0: Well, question for you, this Sunday's question, because I usually start with a question, but today's question is, what's in a name? What, what, what is a name? What is, what is a last name, for example? What does the last name carry? What's that significance? What's, what's in a name? Our last names, we all have them, identify our family. It's in a large sense who we are, where we come from, and to a degree who we are in character and personality. We carry our last names with us wherever we go. Now, maybe when you were 15, 16, you got that parental speech before you headed out on the town on a Friday night, right? Dad might have pulled you aside and said, hey, listen, you know, you're representing us. Don't do anything stupid, right? Don't bring shame upon our last name with anything that you do. When you walk outside this house, it's not just you. You're representing our whole family, right? Anybody else get that speech or was it just me? We have a family too, church. We are are Christians. We claim the name of Christ, and so, well, we had better not bring shame upon the name of Christ, shall we? How do we honor the name of God as his representatives here on earth? The third commandment is going to tell us all about that today. So if you're hopefully there in Exodus chapter 20, we are going to be looking at the third commandment Last week, we looked at the second commandment. You shall not make for yourself a carved image of anything, nothing in heaven or on earth. Do not bow down and worship it. And implicit in that command is the positive aspect of it, which says you shall then worship the Lord your God in the right manner. We have to be really careful with our worship. We're called to focus on Faithfulness, we said last week. Not contriving any images of what we think God might be like, or not worshiping him in a way that might be dishonoring to him. All of this, of course, rolls up under worship, which is an expression of our love. And we said loving God means worshiping him biblically. This week, we focus on the fourth commandment. We've got plenty of work to do here to to clear away kind of the cultural baggage that surrounds it. Let's look again at Exodus 20 and verse 7. It reads, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Again, pretty straightforward, or so it seems. Another negative command do not do this. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And when we come to a text, we ask questions that pop up in the immediate context, and there are three that pop up pretty much right away. What does it mean to take the name? What even is the name of the Lord our God? And what does it mean to take that name in vain? Let's start with the first one. What does it mean to take the name of the Lord our God? Our Hebrew word here means to carry or to lift or to hold up. It has the idea of someone being an official representative of someone else, much like we were saying in the introduction there. And so even that helps us a little bit. It has the sense of being a representation of someone else. Mel and I went to a pastor's gathering on Friday night and of course, you know, you got the name tags which I just love with all of my heart. Put that baby on there, right? And it says, Mike Highlands Bible Church. Represented you in that way, right? Workers represent the company. Drive around in a company truck, you're representing that company. So when we profess faith in God through Jesus Christ, guess what? We're representing God. We're representing Jesus Christ. We're representing what it means to be a Christian. And it's one of the aspects of church membership. The elders of the church sit and listen to your testimony. They sit and listen to your understanding of the gospel, and we say, you got it. That's, that's exactly what the word of God says. You are a verified Bible-believing, gospel-believing Christian. And that's the, the, the essence of membership. And now we represent highlands where we go as members. When, when we become Christians, we sign up to love God. That's what we're signing up for. We sign up to love God with what? Everything we have. All of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what we're doing. And we literally carry the name of God everywhere we go in everything we do and everything that we say. We reflect what a Christian is supposed to look like. So what happens when that doesn't happen? What happens when we don't represent God well? What happens when our our words and our actions don't line up with our profession of faith? What happens when we are not good and faithful representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ, but rather we are bad and sinful representatives of God? It's the essence of hypocrisy. And not only that, we violate the third commandment. We are carrying the name of the Lord our God in vain. That brings us to the second question. What's the big deal? I mean, what is even the name of the Lord our God? We've kind of already answered that, or or the the Lord has in his word in verse 2. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Lord in all caps anywhere in the Old Testament means that it's his official name. It means it's the name Yahweh. And it's much more than just a name. It reflects his whole person and character. Remember, I've been saying that God's law reflects God's character. So also God's name reflects God's character. Yahweh is his special covenant name that he has for his people Israel. It means he is the faithful one. It means he is the steadfast one, the loyal one. It's his character. It means he cannot possibly be anything else other than faithful and loyal and steadfast. Why? Because he's the very definition of those terms. Anything, when we think about faithfulness or loyalty or things like that, we have to compare it to something. God doesn't have anything to compare it to because he is those things. He is faithfulness and loyal. So this is who he is, he says. The name of God was so holy and revered by his people, they were not allowed to write it out. They were not allowed to write out the whole name. They had to abbreviate it with the four letters, Y-H-W-H. One author in a book I read this week mentioned, only the high priest could speak the name, and then only one day a year, the day of atonement. And Philip Ryken says, literally, God's name means I am or who I am, or I will be who I will be. It speaks of God's self-existence, his self-sufficiency, his supreme sovereignty. The the name I am, and he tells that to Moses when when he sees him at the burning bush. He says, "Tell them who should I say is sending me to free the slaves? He says, tell them I am is sending you. Okay, that doesn't make much sense. I am. I was, I am, and I will be. I, I don't have time. I don't have any any place where I am not. I am all. Later on uh, in Exodus, God expresses his character a little more fully. In Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, God says this The Lord passed before Moses, him, and proclaimed, The Lord, the God, uh, God, uh, I'm sorry, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but one who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Did you see both sides of that? God is forever loving and faithful and steadfast and good and forgiving and kind, but by no means can he clear the guilty. He is just. He's the very definition of just and justice. And so if we carry or lift or take the name of God in a way that is contrary to any and all of that, guess what? You're doing that in vain. That's the third question. What does it mean to be doing something in vain? It means to be doing something worthlessly. Anybody ever work at a vain task like shoveling sand or something? It's like this is never gonna end. It's pointless. It's empty, it's worthless, it's inconsequential, it's trivial. It is an abuse of the name of God. And church, how often do we casually throw around the name of God or Jesus or things in and around God? How often do our lives not match who we say that we are as Christians? Do you get the idea? The name of God in all things, whether it's spoken, whether it's written, whether it's lived out, must be done to the highest regard, the highest reverence, the highest esteem, and to do so in such a way that accurately reflects who he is. In other words, to carry the name of the Lord is to misuse the name of the Lord, which is why if you have a CSB this morning, in verse 7 it says, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. Note that it is not, we're not banned, prohibited from using the name of the Lord. We just have to use it in a way that is correct, in a way that honors Him and reveres Him as much as possible. It's been my attempt to get our arms around these massive topics week by week here by thinking about the commandments in a couple buckets, right? First bucket is explanation what is forbidden? What is commanded? And second, application. Okay, so how do we apply this in 2023 America? How do we then obey this, and how do we end up violating this? So the first bucket, what is forbidden? Well, we said that already. The third commandment forbids speaking or representing the name of God in a manner that is inconsistent with his character. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 54, says, what is required of the third commandment? Answer, the third commandment Requireth the holy and reverent use of God's names, His titles, His attributes, His ordinances, and His works. Anything that is in and around the name of God must be done so in a holy and reverent way. So that's what is forbidden. In order, to, when we do that, when we violate that, that is what is forbidden. And as we've been seeing all along, the commandments have two sides. They have a negative side and a positive side. Every command, I hope you notice that, right? They have two sides, a negative, what is forbidden, and then what is inferred, what is directly implied, I guess is a better word, is the positive command. What should we be doing? I teach eighth grade, at, uh, eighth grade Bible at Sussex Christian, which is very near and dear to my heart, and so I have some rules, 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 you get that? and I put them on the board. It's of some debate, which are the actual rules. They're kind of changing every now and then based upon circumstances, right? But, but one of them is no running. There's no running down the hall to get, we have a couch. There's no running down the hall to get to the couch. So what's the, po- that's the negative command, but what's the positive command there? I want you to walk. I don't want you to crawl. I don't want you to crab walk. I don't want you to walk on your knees or your hands. I want you to walk like an upright human being. Just walk normally to the couch, right? But I don't say that. I say the negative command, and it's inferred. It's implied. That's what the positive command. Same thing is what's, what's happening here with the, the um, commandments, right? Parents, you give a child lunch. You tell them to stop feeding the dog their lunch, right? What is inferred in that? Well, you should be eating your lunch, right? Don't feed the dog. You should. Eat it. And so it's the same thing. First commandment, negative side, do not worship any other gods. Positive side, worship the one true God. Second commandment, negative side, don't make any carved images or idols. Positive side, make sure you worship God in the right manner. Third commandment, do not misuse the name of, your, of the Lord your God. Positive side, treat all things related to God as holy and reverent. Thomas Watson writes, this commandment has two parts. First, the negative, express that we must not take the names, God's name in vain. That is to cast any reflections or dishonor in his name. And two, the affirmative implied, that we should take care of reverence and honor his name. This has everything to do with our attitude. When we approach God, when we approach the things of God, when we approach God's word, when we approach worship, first commandment was about the object of our worship. The second commandment was about the manner of our worship. This commandment is about the attitude of our worship. How do we express worship to God in an appropriate way? And there's a word that's kind of fallen out of disuse these days, and that word is sacred. It means holy. It means set apart. It means hallowed. It means consecrated. It means special. It's a great word when talking about this. And so maybe I can say this first point like this. We are commanded to keep the name of God sacred in all things. We are commanded to keep the name of God sacred in all things. And Ron read as our call to worship this morning from Psalm 29, and it's worth repeating. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Watch this. Ascribe to the Lord the glory. What? Do his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Why do we worship the Lord? Because worship is due Him. Because He's worthy of it. He's the only one worthy of worship. The Psalms are all about the attitude of worship and keeping the name of God sacred in all things. We see that attitude as we've been going through Psalm 119 in the mornings. Right, The idea of holding God's word in holiness and and reverence. How important is this to God? He adds a warning, just like he did in the second commandment, the back half of verse seven. He says, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. How serious is God about this? He's very serious about this. To not hold guiltless, guiltless means what? He's going to hold them guilty who misuse the name of the Lord their God. And so if someone is, is misusing, refusing to bow the knee, not recognizing who God is, they are guilty. One commentator in the Heidelberg Catechism said, there is no sin that's greater or more provoking to God than the profaning of his name. And therefore he has commanded that this sin be punished with death. Yes, God is that serious. Why? Because you're not just profaning his name. You're profaning who he is. You're profaning his character. And so, when we say things that are not true of God, or when we treat the name and the things of God in a way that is not worthy of God, we sin against God in the greatest degree because we sin against his character. I've been reading, like many of you, uh, through the Old Testament as we do our chrono read, right? Stay with it, people. Hang in there, keep going. But the idea of Moses going to Pharaoh and saying, let my people go, God says, let my people go. What does Pharaoh say? Huh? He says, no, exactly, Lily, thank you. He says, no. He says, who is this God? Who is Yahweh? And why should I listen to him? Right? No respect, no, no, no understanding of who is telling him this. That's the essence of what we're talking about this. I think we have a solid foundation of explanation. Let's move on to application. How do we keep this in, uh, keep and violate this in 2023? I, I hope it's becoming clear that, again, this commandment is much more than a ban on cursing and swearing, which is oftentimes what we reduce it to. Allow me to try again to bucketize this. I'd like to suggest there's three categories to help us obey and avoid violating this commandment. I'll say it like this. To keep the third commandment, we must avoid unworthy speaking, unworthy spiritualizing, and unworthy living. We must avoid unworthy speaking, unworthy spiritualizing, and unworthy living. First, we must avoid unworthy speaking of the name of God or anything related to God. And one really obvious expression of this is blasphemy. When we say something about God that is so not true, when we attribute God, like imagine saying God is not loving, or, or Jesus didn't die for our sins, or didn't have to, or Jesus had sin, or God is not compassionate. All of that's all blasphemy. It's blasphemous speech, speaking evil of God, cursing him, slandering him, calling him unjust, unholy, unmerciful. It's all blasphemous. Additionally, as many of us tend to think in the third commandment, it means we should avoid speaking the name of God with any form of cursing whatsoever. And and our modern day cussing, right, is a little bit different than it was back then. Back then, in, in this Hebrew culture, you were literally calling down a curse on someone, right? I don't think we do that when we stub our toe or step on a Lego in the middle of the night, although maybe sometimes, right? It's not exactly the same thing. But, if we're going to throw around the name of God or anything about the name of God in anger or anything else like this, we are going to violate this commandment. This could include references to cursing God damn something or oh my God or exclaiming Jesus Christ when something goes wrong. That's all violations of the third commandment. Even when we bring the word holy, fill in the blank. And I love to fill in the blank, not with cuss words, okay? But with whatever, holy macaroni, holy Moses, whatever you want to say, right? I've been convicted, and now I'm passing that on to you. That's belittling the holiness of God. The very nature of holiness is something that's set apart. You don't use that word for anything else except what is actually holy. And I said it. With Mel the other night as we stepped out of our car and it was negative 14 degrees outside and I said holy cow it's cold out here right that's a violation and we think about it we're like really okay but again what's the risk that we're gonna keep the name of God and all his things too highly why wouldn't we set apart things like that for God this gets real practical real fast it could include using the name of God in a vain oath to add weight to something. When you're trying to prove a point and maybe say, I swear to God, or so help me, God. Those are all violations of the third commandment. It would, begin, it would also include joking around and using the name of God in jest. How many times do we flippantly throw around the name of God? Again, myself included. How many times just do we pray for dinner and not even think about what we're doing? Go into autopilot. I saw a church sign this week that said, become an organ donor, give your heart to Jesus. And I thought, "Mm, I know know what you're going for there. But you throw the name of Jesus in with a joke to put on your sign. We're not holding it reverently. It includes irreverent words in worship and biblical song lyrics and, and service elements that don't represent the truth of who God is. But church, of course, it's not just in our worship, it's in our lives. How many times do we flippantly throw around the name of God or Jesus, maybe by joking around or even cursing? And each time we do, we break the third commandment. How hard is this? This is really hard. Let's face it, this is really hard. Because anyone who has mastery over their tongues, yeah, James talks about that a lot. James chapter 3, starting in verse 6. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond produce and yield fresh water. Get the idea? How hard is it to control the words that are coming out of our mouths? We must avoid unworthy speaking. Our tongues are evil. And think about that. We we come here on Sundays and we sing the songs and we proclaim and we pray and then we walk out the door and use his name or his attributes in a manner that is not reflecting of him. And we do it all the time. All have sinned and fall short of the glory, right? So keep the third commandment. We avoid unworthy speaking. But we must also avoid unworthy spiritualizing. And what I mean by spiritualizing is essentially Doing anything that's churchy, right? Going through the motions. We come here and sometimes we go through the motions. Empty lip service without heart engagement. Not understanding the weight of worship. We come to church, we sing the songs, but are we connecting with what the words are trying to tell us? like Ron encouraged us before we sang that last song. Think about these words. We listen to the sermon and we're daydreaming about what we're going to have for lunch. We take the Lord's Supper, maybe, and we don't properly regard it. Maybe we don't adequately honor the Lord's Day, which we're going to get to a lot next week. It means an irreverence towards God, an irreverence towards His church, a reverence of the worship of the saints. Do we cherish every opportunity to come together, whether it's on a Sunday morning, or whether it's a small group, or whether it's our families, and be before God? Do we cherish that? Do we look forward to that? It means flippant or overly casual prayers. When we aren't considering enough who it is that we're going before in this church, this got me, because hopefully I pray a lot, but what's the very first thing that you say when you pray? Heavenly Father, or God, or Jesus? We invoke that name immediately when we go to prayer, and are we doing so in a manner that is worthy of who we are speaking to? That's some of the casualness, right, we can get into, where it's just like, wow, I'm praying to the creator of the universe. Does that even register in my mind? We literally are taking God's name, but we under, do we understand who we are talking to? Our public prayers, are we just running on autopilot? Even our private prayers, are they rushed prayers? Are we trying to be overly fancy? How many times do we say we're going to pray for someone and don't pray for someone? It's why we try and format our prayer meetings in a very, very specific way, like tonight at 6 o'clock upstairs in the office, shameless plug, right? We try and format those in a very specific way so we just don't run in the door, sit down and say, God, do these 18 things for us. We quiet our hearts before the Lord. We go to his word in scripture and in song. We, We think about who he is in adoration. We think about who we are as sinners in confession. And we think about thanksgiving, giving thanks for what he's done for us, and then we go to supplication. It's not perfect. It's not saying it's the right way, but it, it's a way that we try and get our arms around what we're doing and honoring the name of the Lord. That's intentional the way we do that. Every prayer should be a sacred understanding of talking to God by invoking his name. And how else do we take the name of the Lord in vain? Through unworthy spiritualizing By attaching God's name to what is false. We see this in false prophecies. All the YouTube prophets speaking things in the name of God that can have little or nothing to do with the truth of God's word. In the Old Testament civil law, false prophets were stoned to death. I'm not saying we should do that. I'm just saying there's a reason why that is true. Why? Because somebody's saying something in the name of God. Thus says the Lord. And if that doesn't come true, what does that mean? God's a liar? No, that doesn't mean that at all. It means that that was a false prophet. So false prophecies, we do this through false teaching. When we teach doctrine that is unbiblical, we take the name of the Lord in vain. We do this through false allegiances. We take God's name in vain. When we attach God to something maybe that is important to us, much like we talked about last week, we like to think of God as blank, blank. Is that how the Bible represents how God is? Or maybe when we baptize our plans and say, God told me to do this. Did he? Maybe he did. But I'd be real careful about saying the name of God and saying that God or God told me to tell you to to do something. We have to be very careful with that. We're invoking his name. When we baptize something that is God's will that is clearly not God's will, we take his name in vain. And so we keep the third commandment by avoiding unworthy speaking, unworthy spiritualizing, but lastly, and maybe most convicting, unworthy living. It means to claim the name of God and not live like it. It's all forms of hypocrisy, and we all do it to a degree. That's the essence of growth and grace, right? We're all hypocrites, and every time we sin, we are a hypocrite. When we say that we are, we've bowed the knee to God, and yet the real God in our lives at that moment is who? us we took over we carry the name of the lord god in vain paul talks about this in romans chapter 2 in very strong words about the witness to unbelievers romans 2 he says you then who teach others do you not teach yourself while you preach against stealing do you steal you who say that one must not commit adultery do you commit adultery look he's making his way through what god's moral law here right You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law, for it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among Gentiles because of you. Church, we have all had those moments where we just hang our heads and say, that was not a good representation of who I am in Christ. Whatever it was, whether we blew our tops, whether we cussed somebody out, whether something happened, we all have those moments where we're like, ugh. That was not a good... That's taking the name of the Lord in vain because that's who we are. We're we're saying we're Christian. We're saying we represent Christ. And then, as one person said, denying him by our actions. We fall into any form of hypocrisy. We carry the name of the Lord, our God, in vain. But also, any time we are harboring unrepentant sin in our lives, we claim to be okay with God, yet we have lingering sin. An unrepentant sin is just that, one that you don't repent of, one that lives in your life rent-free, that you keep around like a pet, that you keep doing and you don't deal with. An unrepentant sin is one that you've made peace with. We also do this in an unworthy way, of course, with the ordinances and baptism and communion. They apply to all three of these categories. I was trying to find a way to fit in the ordinances, and I just put them here because they apply to all of them. They apply to unworthy speaking, uh, unworthy. What was the second one already? Unworthy spiritualizing, and unworthy living. Right? They apply to all of them. I read from a different part of First Corinthians this morning. Right? That was a scary part of First Corinthians when we're coming to the table, where he says, "Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord, see, it's his cup, it's his table, it's his name, in an unworthy manner." will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we need to examine ourselves before we do that. Are we coming to the table in an unworthy manner and thus carrying the name of the Lord God in vain? Maybe one more area for us to think about is when we fail to live faithfully to our oaths, especially the promises that we made to God. When we became Christians, again, we named the name of Christ over our lives and said, He is our Lord and Savior. That is a promise to love Him every day with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Are we honoring that promise? When we're baptized as adults, what did we do? We stood before the whole church and we said, Guess what, church? I'm a Christian. I understand the gospel. I know I'm a sinner. I want to live like one. Will you help me do that? Are we faithful to that promise that we made before God and our church to be a faithful Christian? In our marriage vows, when we stood before God, our family and friends, and promised in the name of God to love our spouse above all others and be faithful to them, are we honoring that promise that we made before God? Or are we carrying his name in vain? In our membership covenants, when we again go before the elders of highlands and we sit and we give our testimony and we promise to honor God as a member of highlands, are we honoring those membership promises? Unworthy living means not honoring the promises that you have made to God in his name. It's carrying the name of the Lord in vain. Are we understanding the depth of carrying the name of the Lord God with our whole lives? If so, we need to avoid unworthy speaking, unworthy spiritualizing, and unworthy living. And where does this all come together? And I hope that you, as I've been pointing to every week, the first four commandments come down to loving God. This is all, why do we do this? Why would we not carry the name of the Lord in vain? Because we love him. We want to honor him. The first commandment, we said loving God means worshiping him exclusively and primarily. The second commandment, we said loving God means worshiping him biblically This week again, we focus on the attitude of worship. How highly do we hold the name of God? And this week I'll say this loving God means honoring his name appropriately. Loving God means honoring his name appropriately. Ask yourselves, and I'm asking myself this how sacred do we hold the name of God? How sacred do we hold? As our brothers before us wrote, God's names, ordinances, his attributes, his works. It's like anything that has to do with God. If you're a Christian, you ought to snap to attention and zoom in with what's happening. We're talking about God. I heard the name God. We want to be focused on that intensely. Do we do this at all times? The answer for all of us is a resounding no. We don't do this at all times. Again, Romans 3.23, right, takes on new meaning when you start looking at the law of God like Paul was praying. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We feel that. The study of God's law has to bring with it a deep sense of conviction for sin. The closer we get to understanding what God actually calls us to as, as his children, the clearer we see how far short we all fall. We constantly drift into unworthy speaking, unworthy spiritualizing, unworthy living. And guess what? This is God's design. It's God's design. It's God's design to have us be in this conviction, in this state of I'm falling so far short of this. Yes. Why? But we've got to not study the law without going to the gospel because that's the whole idea of God's law. We need to feel a little bit of this. I can't do this and I'm failing at this, and I'm worthy of separation from God. He is just in his wrath against me. But then Jesus. But then Jesus. Because as much as we dishonor the name of God, guess what? There's another name. That name is Jesus. And as as the author of Acts tells us in Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else. Watch this. For there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's the name that we cling to when we dishonor the name of God or dishonor him. We remember that also there was conviction through our sin. There's salvation through Jesus Christ. And so church, we need to feel the conviction of the law and we need to flee to Jesus for refuge and salvation. The name of God is not only condemnation for sinners, but salvation for sinners. This is the only name that God has given in heaven and earth. We are flee, we are free rather, to go to Jesus from the condemnation of the law. We will never do this perfectly. We can never earn entrance into his family by our efforts. But once we claim the name of Jesus and enter into God's family, we now represent that family. We need to remember that as we go about our lives, that we are called to love God with everything we have, our heart, our soul, our mind, everything, our strength. And the third commandment tells us that loving God means honoring his name appropriately. And we shall not carry that name in vain, but when we do, when we do, we remember the name of Jesus. We remember the gospel. We remember the grace that he's given us in Jesus. And so church, again, let the conviction of the law drive you to the gospel. We need both. We need that. And when we have a very practical word like this that talks about the way that we speak and the way that we live and the way that we worship, we know that we all fall short. Loving God means honoring his name appropriately. And we thank God for the grace in Jesus Christ to do that. Father, we thank you for your word as much as it convicts and as much as it, Lord, hurts us and we realize just even with our own words, our own prayers, how unworthy all of those things will be, there is no way for us to adequately honor you with our words, with our thoughts, with our actions, with our lives, with our worship It is only through Jesus Christ that we have the grace, Lord, to enter your presence. And we are so thankful that you have given us the name of Jesus by which we may be saved. Help us, Father, to honor your name appropriately out of love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.